Good morning. If you have your Bibles, you want to turn to Acts 18 as well as Romans 16. This is actually going to be our last sermon in Acts for quite some time. Uh, next week, uh, I'll kick off a series um, on the armor of God, and you will not want to rotate. Uh, actually, uh, next week it won't matter, but after that, we're going to have a rotation of preachers through the armor of God. So if you go to more than one campus, you're going to hear the same sermon twice. If you go to three campuses, you might hear it three times. It's just what's going to happen. Let's go ahead and ask God to guide our time. Father God, what a very appropriate song. If we know your son, Jesus, our sins are forgiven. And how can we do anything less than praise you, exalt you? Father, we uh, thank you for the book of Acts. We've been it many, many months, and we'll come back to it. We're thankful for the lessons that we've learned and have yet to learn. And Father, we uh, pray you would teach us today and then the armor of God, and after that, Colossians. Lots of things to apply to our lives. And Father, we don't want to hear the word only. We want to live it out. We want it to change our head and our hearts. For our betterment and your glory, in the name of Christ we pray. Amen. Well, there are a number of famous duos. And so this is going to be audience participation. So I'm going to tell you the first name and you're going to tell me the second name of the duo. No pressure, but the first few services, nobody's gotten any of them wrong. Though tradition struggled with one of them. I'll tell you what it is in a moment. Romeo and? Bert and? Captain James T. Kirk and? Batman and? Bacon and? Anything, really, let's be honest. They didn't really get this one at the next hour. Mario and? Yeah. One person in tradition's got that. Woody and? Well, yeah, but, you know, that's my grandies. Han Solo and? Chewbacca. Bonnie and? Starsky and? Shrek and? Donkey, the next one, Wisconsin and cheese, beer, Packers, Dave Mahler, I don't know, <laughs> lots of things. Samson and Adam and and Priscilla and, yeah, that's the hardest one, right? We know that one the least. Now, as we think about Priscilla and Aquila, we may be surprised that the Apostle Paul is associated with no less than 95 individuals in Scripture. Now, I really didn't look that up. I really didn't count it. I, I took it from a scholar, and he might be off by a number or two, but it was good enough for me. So 95 individuals. Of this, though, 36 individuals really did ministry side by side with the Apostle Paul. We often think of the Apostle Paul as the one that was used by God to perhaps plant upwards of 60 churches. That's what Paul was. 
He was a church man who planted churches. We also think of the Apostle Paul as the individual who was used by God to pen 13 letters, epistles. But if you read them, they're all to churches. And if you read them closely, most of the time, he has somebody writing right beside him and he's addressing it to individuals and to a church and he has lists of names. We tend to think of the Apostle Paul as this standalone individual. He's far from that. He's an individual who's used by God alongside many, many other individuals. He does team ministry, team church planting, team evangelism. He understands that God did not design you. He did not design me. He didn't design us to go it alone in our Christian walk. From time to time, someone will say to me, especially when they find out what I do for a living. This actually happened last night. Last night, my wife and I were at Middle Ground. They uh, were doing a fundraiser, playing bingo. Yeah, we play poker. So we were doing bingo for money, except they didn't give any money away. It just cost money. I don't know how that works. But we were sitting with a couple we didn't know. And as soon as they found out what I did... Uh, the gal, very, very nice gal, told me she's a very spiritual, religious person, but not organized religion. In other words, she doesn't do what I do, and she doesn't go where I go, but she has a faith in God. So she was gently telling me the opposite of what I'm preaching today, and that is that God designed us to need one another. He designed us to need the church of Jesus Christ. Some people will say to me, as she did in different words, they'll say, I believe in God, but you don't need the church to believe in God. And that's true. It's true. But that's also incomplete. You can be a Christ follower without being a part of a local church. You can't be an obedient Christ follower without being part of the local church. And you will not, I will not, we will not reach out optimum spiritual growth unless we are part of the local church. That's how God designed us. That's how he created us. That's how the epistles in the New Testament constantly are pointing back to the local church. So Paul needs others. So we have 95, 36 that are close. And then there's kind of a top 10 list of individuals who do ministry side by side with the Apostle Paul. And we may be surprised, but two of the individuals that have to make that top 10, they might even make that top five, are Priscilla and Aquila. Now before you and I actually look at the text, and we're going to look at a few of them, I want to make a couple parenthetical remarks about Priscilla and Aquila. The first parenthetical remark is this. They are mentioned a half a dozen times, six different passages in Scripture, and the preponderance of them lists Priscilla or Prisca first and Aquila second, the wife first and the husband second. Now, in the 21st century, that doesn't mean anything. In fact, I sign a lot of notes uh, each and every week, and almost always I sign it Betty Ann and Jeff. 
Occasionally, Jeff and Betty Ann, but more often than not, Betty Ann and Jeff, because that's respect for my wife, and I'm grateful that God brought her into my life. But if we go back 2,000 years in the Middle East, it would be quite abnormal to have the wife mentioned before the husband. Now, there are a few scholars who suggest that the ordering is insignificant. I think they're wrong. The vast majority of scholars believe the order is significant, and then it probably means the following. God gives spiritual gifts. At the moment in which you and I accepted Jesus Christ as Savior, he gave us one or more spiritual gifts for only two purposes, to glorify God and to build up the local body, which is the church. The spiritual gifts actually require the church. That's how Scripture makes it clear in Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12 and Ephesians 4 and 1 Peter 4. Gifts are to be used in the body of Christ in the local church, but God gives them to us. And because God gives us to us, we should not brag about them. Although we are to develop them, we are to practice using them. So if God gives the gifts, we have no right to be prideful over the gifts that he has entrusted to us. And it appears that the more pronounced gifts and the more upfront gifts are given to Priscilla or Prisca rather than to Aquila. And what I notice in the six passages is there doesn't seem to be any tension between them. We don't have Aquila sadly thinking that his manliness is attacked because his wife has more pronounced or upfront gifts than he does. What absolute nonsense. We don't have that. What we seem to have is a husband spurring his wife on and a wife spurring her husband on and they're both seeking to bring glory to God, which is what you and I are called to do. So that's the first observation I would make generally about the six passages of Priscilla and Aquila. The second observation is a cross between what we know from the text and also what early church tradition tells us. And that's this. We probably have an interracial couple. They're not the first interracial couple in Scripture, by the way. The first interracial couple we have in Scripture is Moses and his second wife. You remember he was married to Zipporah. We're not sure what happened to Zipporah, but she must have died. And then in Numbers chapter 12... Verses 1 to 10, we are told that he meets another woman and marries her. And she is a Cushite from the land of Cush. Just in case we missed the first part, that she's a Cushite, it tells us the second part, that she is from the land of Cush. That's Nubia. That's Sudan. It's the darkest skin region in the world. And so here we have Moses... Israel's greatest prophet, and he is olive-skinned, marrying a woman who's a Cushite from the land of Cush, who has more melatonin, or that, that pigment, in her skin than he has in his skin. And you remember how God responds. Well, you remember how his brother Aaron and his sister Miriam respond. How do Moses' siblings respond? 
They're angry. They're not liking this. And so this is what the text says in Numbers chapter 12, verse 9. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against them. Who's the them? Moses and his new bride? No. No. God is angry at Aaron and Miriam for their prejudice, their racism, their bigotry. And he departed. God departed. And then he actually strikes Miriam with leprosy for a season that she might know, that we might know, that skin color, pigment, is not relevant in the kingdom of God. It's not relevant in the kingdom of God. If we know Christ, we're brothers and sisters, regardless of strata that our society gives us. Well, tradition tells us something about Prisca. Now, we know some things about her that aren't tradition. We know that Prisca is a Roman citizen. Her husband, Aquila, is a Jew who is not a Roman citizen. We know that Prisca is not only a Roman citizen, she is of the equestrian class, just below the senatorial class. She has some serious chops. I mean, she's connected. She's a, a person of aristocracy. She has been educated. Her husband is from the Black Sea area. He's a Jew. He's a tent maker. He's not been educated and he works with his hands. They're from different parts of the world, different parts of the spectrum. We're also told that she has a lot of darkness to her skin and he is olive skinned. Now, I can't prove that last part, but I can tell you the other parts are true. She's of aristocracy. He's not. She's educated. He probably is not. She's a Roman citizen. He is not. And yet they are lifted up as an ideal couple, a top 10, probably top five, partner in the gospel, in planting churches, in ministering all across the known Roman world, they work side by side with Paul in the gospel. That's Priscilla, that's Aquila. With this introduction, I want to pick up in our text in Acts 18. Let me read verses 1 to 3. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. They're both in Greece today. They are separated by 52 miles uh, Corinth today is ruins. Athens is a bustling city. And he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla. Pontus is the Black Sea area. Because Claudius, that's the emperor in the year would be 49, had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. And he went to see them. And because he was of the same trade, he, Paul, stayed with them, Priscilla and Aquila, and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. Now, I'm not sure when Paul met Priscilla and Aquila for the first time. We're not really given that information. Maybe it's here in Corinth. We're not really sure. But what we do know is they're both tent makers, which means that in the ancient world, there would be a part of the city where all in their trade would gather together. So it really isn't unusual that Paul, a tent maker, 
would suddenly meet Priscilla and Aquila who are tent makers. What's more unusual is that Priscilla and Aquila seem to have their own business and they hire Paul. Now I know it's Paul that writes work heartily unto the ward, not unto men. But I don't think Paul is the greatest employee. That's just my opinion. He's pastoring the church at Corinth for 18 months. He's planting the church at Corinth for 18 months. He's got to sleep at some point. And he's also providing for himself as a tent maker. It kind of sounds like a guy who's a little bit divided in time. And yet he comes across Priscilla and Aquila and they hire him as a tent maker, probably in between the times he's at the synagogue preaching, times he's planting the church at Corinth, the times he's pastoring the church at Corinth and making some hospital visits. In between all of that, he's kind of earning a living. And then the text implies that he actually lives with them. Now, why are Priscilla and Aquila in Corinth? They're in there, or they are there because they have been expelled from Rome. We know something from a historian named Suetonius who writes the life of Claudius, a book, and he tells us that in AD 49, because of one Christos, the Jews were all expelled from Rome. Now, Christos, Christ, is actually a common lower class name. It's a slave name, really. So there were a number of Christoses. But Suetonius does something very unique when he writes about this Christos. He doesn't say like one of those Christoses, one of those slaves, one of those people named Jesus. He doesn't do that. He talks as though everyone will know exactly who this Christos is. And because of this Christos, the Jews have been expelled from Rome. Many, probably most historians, believe that Suetonius is writing about Christ. And he's writing about what's gone on in the lives of Jews. Many Jews have come to Christ and they're proclaiming a Trinitarian God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. They're not looking forward to the Messiah coming. They know that he has come. And that's causing all sorts of conflict among the Jews. In addition, Jews, whether Christian Jews or not, Messianic Jews or not, they won't embrace the Roman pantheon. And that's causing problems between the Jews and the populace. And the emperor Suetonius has had enough and so he expels all the Jews. Remember, Prisca is a Roman citizen and she's of the equestrian class. Certainly she could have kept her husband there. Certainly she could have flown under the radar. She has connections, but she's not a chameleon Christ follower. She is sold out for Jesus. There's something more important than a Roman citizenship. That's her citizenship in the kingdom of God. And because of that risky citizenship, she, along with her husband, are expelled. And so they end up in Corinth. They meet Paul. They hire Paul. And then Paul kind of moves in for 18 months. Now there's a phrase, fish like guests smell after three days. They got like 18 months. And you can imagine when Paul finally says, you know what, I'm out of here. I'm going to Syria. We would have like a two-person party, right? Priscilla and Aquila are like, 
my, thank the good Lord that he is out of here. But that's not what the text says. Let me read verse 18 of Acts 18. After this, Paul stayed many days longer and then took leave of the brothers and set sail for Syria and with him Priscilla and Aquila. Are you kidding me? I mean, they've been expelled from Rome. They've come to Corinth. They've set up business. Their business, assuming we think, is going well, uh, well enough to support Paul as well. And after 18 months of Paul living in their house and being a part of their business, Paul finally says, hey, I'm going to leave this area. I'm going to go all the way to Syria. And they said, hey, we're going with you. Who does that? Priscilla and Aquila. Later, when Paul leaves Syria and goes to Ephesus in Turkey, verse 19 and following, who goes with him? Priscilla and Aquila. Later on, when Paul goes to Roma, Italy, Rome, who goes with them? Priscilla and Aquila. So Priscilla and Aquila are with Paul as he plants churches in Corinth, in Syria, in Turkey, in Italy. Now, two of those are kind of close. Greece and Turkey aren't terribly far apart. But Syria is a good trip, and Italy's not all that close either when you're traveling by wind or walking. And yet we have Paul, when he goes to these different places, being accompanied by Priscilla and Aquila. And as I think about these geographic areas, they're all different people. You see, Priscilla and Aquila understand that nationality, skin color, economics, education, stratas that our society separates us from, they don't matter in the kingdom. And so they want to see disciples in Greece, in Turkey, in Syria, in Italy. People matter to God, and therefore people must matter to us. Priscilla and Aquila remind me of the book Sneetches, Dr. Seuss. He published it in 1961. A little known fact that uh, Joe Aldridge found for me. It was published in 1961, but actually it appeared in newspapers in a comic strip uh, in the 50s before it was put into a book. But Dr. Seuss wrote it, published it in 1961. Do you know anything about Sneetches? I had a teacher in the back row in the very first hour, and uh, she was telling everyone while I was preaching, can you believe it? All about Sneetches. They didn't listen to me, they just listened to her talk about Sneetches. So this time, if you're a teacher, I know you know the book, let me tell it. My sermon, my telling. So Sneetches is, I think something very personal to Dr. Seuss. And Dr. Seuss was a moralist. Dr. Seuss was a lifelong Lutheran, Missouri Synod. Dr. Seuss was a progressive, which is very interesting because the progressives want to X him out and the conservatives want to keep him, but he actually was a progressive in life. Well, Dr. Seuss experienced something as a young boy, his grandparents immigrated to our country. He's German. And at the outbreak of World War I, he and his sister were about 9, 10, 11 years old. And they were 
ruthlessly treated in the Brooklyn area, Manhattan area, because they were German. And so we understand something of prejudice, racism, of being abused because of his background. And so he wrote Sneetches. And if you know anything about Sneetches, if you have a star on your belly, then you get to eat Frankfurter roast and marshmallow toast. But if you don't have a star, you are at a lower level and you don't get Frankfurter roast and marshmallow toast because you're not that important. But somebody in the book of Sneech has figured out how to stamp stars on everyone's belly. And pretty soon nobody could tell the haves and the have-nots because they're external. And you remember what God said in 1 Samuel 16, man looks at the outward appearance, God looks at the heart. Well, that seems to be Priscilla, Aquila, Paul, who tramp all over the known world in order to share the gospel. But not only do they go all over the world, they risk their lives. That's not tradition, that's in scripture. They risk their lives. Wouldn't you love to know the details? I would, but they're not there. But let me tell you what is there. Romans 16, uh, verses three and four. Greet Prisca, Priscilla, and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risk their necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles, they give thanks as well. Then it goes on to say, greet also the church in their house. So here we have this, this couple, and they do something in order to advance the gospel, they risk their lives, and the churches are grateful for what they've done, but we're not given the details. I don't know what exactly happened, but I do know that Prisca, as a Roman citizen of the equestrian class, absolutely could have avoided trouble. If she had just let people know she was a Roman citizen, and she had not let people know she's a citizen of the kingdom of God, she could have avoided the challenges of morality and ethics, the challenges that are all around us 2,000 years later. She could have run under the radar and nobody would know. But she didn't. And they risk their lives. I wonder if the risk was that the church met in their house. Now I want to make a parenthetical remark. It just always makes me smile a little bit. I have a couple friends that home church and they love passages like this and they point to this passage and they say, this, what we have, is not what they had in the first century. The church is a home church and we have kind of altered the picture. And I smile because all they've done is read the 21st century back into the first century, and they got it historically all wrong. All wrong. This actually doesn't make a statement about a home church or a public church culture. We have to understand that until Constantine is emperor in 325 and issues the Edict of Milan, no church had a building because it wasn't legal. There were no churches as we know them. You would meet in the catacombs, you would meet in the forest, you would meet in people's houses, 
But as a church function, if you read the pastoral epistles, it functions much like a church like this. And so it's actually a 21st century misreading of the text to say the text supports the home church movement of today. It doesn't. Or the text supports the public church like today. No, it doesn't really do either. We're just incorporating what we do in the 21st century back into the first century and kind of abusing the text. It doesn't really matter. What matters is this is a ministry couple. They use their resources for the kingdom. They use their house for the kingdom. They use their business for the kingdom. They literally tramped across the known world from Italy to Greece to Turkey to Syria. And that's just what we know. That doesn't mean that's all they did. And they ministered alongside Paul as he pastored and planted and evangelized the known world. They lived out Matthew 16, 24 and 25, which says this. Then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. The kingdom is about advancing the agenda of Christ and allowing people to come and grow and mature in Christ. Well, the last passage I want to look at is verses 24 to 26. I mentioned it last week, but we're going to just uh, mention it again. Acts 18, 24. Now a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, Egypt, came to Ephesus, Turkey. He was an eloquent man, competent in the scriptures, the Old Testament text. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. Now we're told that he's from Alexandria. We know it's one of the three great learning centers. We always talk about the scrolls or the library of Alexandria. We could also talk about it in Athens and we could also talk about it in Tarsus. These were the great learning centers. And it happens in Alexandria. We have Philo. He dies in AD 50. He's the best Old Testament scholar of his era. And it is likely that this guy uh, studied under Philo. So he is powerful in rhetoric. He understands the baptism of John. He seems to have some deficiencies. He knows about Christ, but something in the Christology, his understanding of Christ is deficient. And while he preaches, Priscilla and Aquila, they listen to him and they say there's something wrong. And so the next thing we know, they blog about how he's a heretic. Stay away from the guy. Well, that's what we do, right? But that's not what they do. They come alongside and they disciple this brother in Christ and they fill in some of the deficiencies. And that's how we ought to handle those that we come across that have deficiencies in Scripture. We all do. Deficiencies in theology, we all do. And so we spur one another on. We help each other take the next step 
in our relationship with Jesus Christ. That's what Priscilla and Aquila do with Apollos. They took him aside. They explained to him the way of God more accurately. Humility, grace, kingdom focused. Well, in conclusion, I just want to summarize what I've learned from Priscilla and Aquila. First, I am moved by the fact that they are a marital team. They're not concerned over whose name is first and who gets top billing and who has the more pronounced spiritual gifts. They spur one another on in love and good deeds. One of the 60 one another passages in scripture, which by the way, require the local church. They do that. They spur one another on. The second thing is I'm impressed that they don't allow the stratas of our society to divide them. Maybe they're an interracial couple. Most definitely they're from different economic areas. One is a Roman citizen. One is a Jew who is not a citizen. That makes that person, the husband, technically a slave. One is highly educated, equestrian class. The other is a tent maker, works with his hands. And yet together they pull for the kingdom and they do kingdom work. I'm impressed with Priscilla of noble birth that flies the flag of the kingdom of Christ above the flag of a Roman citizen. She won't go under the radar. She won't be a chameleon. But she's going to talk about the values and live out the values of the kingdom. I'm impressed that they use their resources for the kingdom. They use their business for the kingdom. They use their house for the kingdom. They travel for the kingdom. And they're all over the place. I'm impressed that they risk their lives. And all the churches are so impressed with what they've done. Their testimony has been known to the Gentile churches. I'm impressed that all people matter to God. That, by the way, is a sixth value here at Highland. All people matter to God. Therefore, all people matter to us. Even people who don't vote like us. As though we all vote the same way we don't. Or people who have idolatrous views. They matter to God. They matter to us. Or people who don't look like us. They matter to God. They matter to us. And finally, I love the way they correct errant theology. It's not about making someone look bad and elevating themselves. They quietly take this man with them, probably to the golf course. That's how I'm reading the text. And as they play 18 holes, maybe 36 if they're really wise, they share with him the deficiencies in theology and they spur the brother on. There's lots that I can learn and apply from Priscilla and Aquila in my life. And maybe you can as well. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for this ministry couple. There's a lot about them that we would want 
in our lives. I think of Paul who says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And so as somebody lives out Christ, that's the imitation or the part of that person's life that we want in our lives. And we've seen a lot in Priscilla and Aquila that we need in our lives develop these characteristics in us that we might honor you. It's in the name of Christ we pray. Amen.